This podcast is not canon. It is not endorsed by Lucasfilm, The Story Group, Disney, Delray, Fantasy Flight, West End Games, or anyone else with actual stakes in Star Wars. Again, this podcast is not canon. Welcome to Of Dice and Droids, a Star Wars tabletop podcast brought to you by the Tashi Station Network. Join Brian, Nancy, Rocky, Sho, Saf, Jay, and Game Master Tom in their original campaign, The End of All Things. Welcome back to Of Dice and Droids. A little change up this week, but we're going to be recording with the Merc team, but uh, they are now recording next Wednesday, uh, but we've got a little interstitial episode lined up for you today where we're just going to have a little grab bag discussion. Uh, with me on this episode, we have Nancy. Hello. We have Jay. Hello. And uh, we have Saf. Hello. And of course, as always, uh, Game Master Tom. Hello. You know what, Don's? I mean, we probably should have talked about how we wanted to uh, format this discussion <laughs> before <laughs> we started. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we're all fine here. We're all, we're all fine here. I um, mean, it would be on brand for us to just make things up as we go along. Totally. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of our thing here on this show. Uh, so, yeah, we just want to get together. We'll do a little table talk and uh, just... Discuss a few uh, a few subjects out there and answer a few questions from uh, folks in the Tashi Station Patreon team. Um, one of the, uh, I, I guess we should start with uh, a, a common question that uh, I get from folks listening to this show, and it's, how do you even get started playing a tabletop game like this? And uh, anyone feel free to chime in uh, with any input you might have. The lazy way is befriend a DM so that you can make them start a game for you. Yeah, I was going to say that my answer was to um, have your husband start an RPG podcast <laughs> and ask you to play with them. That, that's certainly one way to go about it. But I'm sure there are better ways to find a group actually near you or... Well, uh, online group. one of our Tashi Station listeners, uh, Lindsay, asked us, how do you find a st- uh, a, an RPG game group? I've been playing Forces of, Forces and, Force and Destiny with some friends for about a year, but they're all super busy, so we don't play that often, and we wind up goofing around half the time. I want to play quote-unquote for real, but I have no idea how to find a game, especially one that will take someone who is still pretty beginner. So, um... Other than knowing a, a GM who will take you in, uh, has anyone had any experience just looking for group? Um, I haven't personally, but I have some friends who used to DM games at like, do you have Hobby Master in America? Hobby Master, I'm not sure, but game, we have a bunch workshop, of- uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, we have a lot of similar stores. Uh, where I grew yeah, up in yeah. Seattle, there was a- Card Kingdom, I think it was called, uh, uh, which is which is I'm assuming similar to the places you're talking about. Yeah, generally places like that will have some kind of D and D or tabletop group night or something. Um, so if you're in a town that has one of those stores, you could definitely stop by and ask them. Also, see what the atmosphere is like because some of those can be very masculine based and aren't particularly welcoming to other people. But then a lot of them are also really welcoming for diverse people pretty much um so one of the other ways if you don't have friends to go to is to look around in that community a little bit because from what i've seen they can be really welcoming to new people as well because they've all started somewhere generally so yeah yeah if you have a a gaming store near you those are really great um 
resources, even if they don't actually host game nights, you might be able to contact the people who run the store, just go in and visit and just ask if there's anyone who runs games um, or if they know of any people who run games. That's a good start. Um, You can also go to the web, which can be as sort of frightening and potentially not as welcoming a place as any gaming store. But um, on a number of different forums, whether it's uh, Fantasy Flight, their role playing game forums specifically for the Star Wars RPGs, um, certain subreddits or other forums that are dedicated to RPGing, there are very often uh, like Roll20 is another really good one, which is a a website that actually lets you sort of run games online. There are a lot of forums that are specifically dedicated to like, we want to find players or we are players looking for other players. Um, And again, you have to, you know, find the people and do your sort of homework that you think you're going to be comfortable with and that are going to be accepting of you you and your play style or your play experience. But um, those are also other ways to do it. Um, something else you can do specifically with the Star Wars game, because we've talked in the past about how great the beginner boxes are for each of the three um, subsets of the RPG and how accessible the game is that you can, you know, buy yourself one of the starter sets for a very, very low entry cost and just find a group of people that share your common interest um, for playing or in the case of our question from Lindsay for sort of playing the game for real um, and just kind of start your own group. Um, If you've got a group of players who are just like a group of, let's say, board game players, ask if they'd be interested in trying out an RPG. There are a lot of board games nowadays which are like faux RPGs or they might include like part (laughs) of an RPG, but they're not sort of the full experience. And so you may have people who play board games who, who would be willing at least for, you know, at least one session to kind of take that next step into full RPGs. And you may suddenly find that your group of friends who just plays board games or even video games might actually become your RPG game group. Yeah. I actually took, um, Oh, sorry. sorry, Go ahead. Um, I think one of the hardest things can be to find a DM if you don't have a group or if you have a group, but they're not, they, they're too busy or something. Um, and yeah, I was really lucky that one of my really close friends is a DM and he kind of built our group for us. But in that case, you can definitely like, yeah, get one of those starter packs, learn how to DM and kind of bring in new people. And yeah. even if you don't want to be DM long term, if you get enough people interested and invest in the game, somebody else will probably want to do it too. So that's another way to kind of build up to making your own group. Yeah, and yeah, another another option that was brought up, speaking of message boards, is doing what's like a, a play by post where I've seen on different RPG message boards, people will actually have a message board or chat room based RPGs. So instead of having the experience of playing around a table, you might have more of a delayed game, almost like the old fashioned, you know, playing chess by mail. So it's a bit of a different pace and a different gameplay style, but that's another option as well. Uh, and I, wa- I also want to second the uh, if you've got a group of friends that play board games with you. Absolutely bring one of the beginner boxes to one of those. I've taken uh, the Age of Rebellion beginner box to a couple uh, board game sessions with some other friends. And uh, in between some games we were playing, we pulled out uh, we pulled out the beginner box and uh, a number of people who'd never played before and were kind of w- weren't sure about it ended up really enjoying it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah was- it can be a good next step. And one last actual option is. If there are any conventions around near you, this sort of falls into the subset of gaming stores. But if there's no store around you, but you are either nearby to or traveling to a gaming convention like Gen Con or PAX or even some of the video game conventions have access to these, there will oftentimes be Star Wars or other RPG meetups or there will be full on demos and tests by the companies, which can also serve sometimes as a way for you to meet people local to you or meet groups local to you that are looking for more players. Um, And those tend to be, I'm generalizing here a little bit, but those might end up being a little more welcoming than if you were just going to your local neighborhood store, which might end up being one of those stores that's like pretty insulated um, because, you know, larger cons that are all about um, kind of making games accessible to the most number of people usually are about players who are either new or who are like not really established into a game and are looking to get more involved. Um, So you could do that too. Yeah, PAX Australia, I know from personal experience, I had a friend go there once with me, and they ended up in the tabletop hall for like the entire weekend because they got sucked into like one game that somebody taught them. And they're like, this is it now. I'm into this game now. So yeah, PAX, from my experience, I know it can be really good for welcoming in new players if you want to go and experience that in some way. If you can go to a PAX because they're busy and expensive, but yeah, 
it's an option too. And I've never done it, but I know that Dragon Con has tabletop gaming. So if you ever get a chance to go to that convention and want to check that out, I think that happens pretty much all the time. And I think Origins is another one that has tabletop Origins gaming. Origins is fantastic for that. Yeah. Yeah, I went to I went to an Origins once and holy cow, I want to go back now mm-hmm. because they've got such an amazing tabletop uh, yeah. presence there. Um, so uh, I guess playing off of that question is what would you tell someone who is interested in the idea of getting into tabletop gaming, but they are they are really intimidated by how complex everything seems. Hello, that's me. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think the first thing I would say, or I'd ask them, is what about it is what about it to them seems complex or is complex because I. I Games and RPGs can be complex Um, and to just help break the game down into its component parts, Um, because while RPGs on the whole very much look complex, there's a lot of different systems interacting in sometimes a lot of weird ways and doing some, you know, strange things that on the surface don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But normally, and you you can all attest to this as being players, you know, when you're the player, you actually usually don't have to worry about all the systems you're worrying about a certain sort of set of systems and then a certain set of responsibilities and the GM is worried about another set of systems and another set of responsibilities and that as a player um, particularly if you find a, a you know a, if you can find a group or find a, a GM who's who's um, sort of focused on this as a player you usually only have to focus on a couple of different things you sort of just focus on your player the decisions you want to make and the abilities and decisions that your character can make and you sort of don't need to worry about the rest. You, d- you just sort of, um, you will work your way through the rest. But, um, you know, RPGs are very much not a thing that you need to have 100% knowledge and 100% <laughs> understanding of to get started. I think a lot of people believe like, oh, there's a 400 page rule book. And if I haven't memorized pages one through 400, I'm not allowed to play. Usually you basically just have to have read probably chapter one and two, and then you can just start playing. Um, so I'd probably start there. I'm going to be honest. I have barely read any of the um, player's handbook for D&D. I flip to a page whenever I vaguely need it, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> I I kind of understand this entirely because I tried to play D&D when I was in high school, when I was like 14 or something, and because clubs had just started up for some reason. And there was a D&D club. And so I went to that for like one session and it was all about building the character and everybody else there had obviously played D&D before. And they were really into like the stats and like min maxing stats and making sure the characters were perfect. And I was just like, I just want to make a cool Hobbit. Um, and I got intimidated and didn't play again until I was like 20 something. So I completely understand that. Uh, I think if it does intimidate you and it seems very complex, just start piece by piece, just kind of be like, what do I want my character to be? And then kind of build that up from there. And then once you've got that built, then you can kind of look at like your abilities or your spells or whatever else goes with that feats and stuff. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm coming from D and D experience mostly here. Like it is relatively easy to build step by step and learn step by step. If you make an effort to do that, as opposed to being like overwhelmed straight away, you just kind of go in and look at the characters and just read through that stuff and kind of take a breath and, Write down things you want to remember because you probably won't remember them otherwise. Another thing you can do is find a friend or an acquaintance or anybody who's ever GM'd a game and just be like, please help me build this character or please help me understand this one thing. Because generally, if someone knows a lot about the game and the systems, they are totally willing to completely explain it to you because they like showing off how much of a nerd they are. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's some really that's some really good advice there. Um, yeah, if you look, I think if you look at these systems as a whole, it does look really complex and impossible to get into. But uh, the idea of breaking it down into what do I want to learn and uh, checking out just the first chapter of a player handbook that the first chapter to uh, really does show you everything. I've got the. Uh, D&D player handbook there here and I've got the Age of Rebellion uh, player handbook and pretty much everything you need to know to get started or just in those first two chapters. It's also okay to look things up if you need to like I, I've had games oh, where, yeah. where we've actually paused and said hey I don't remember what this thing is and 
people pull out their rule books and we just just look it up. I mean, it's totally fine. Yeah, we do that a lot because some some of our players in our normal D&D group have been playing for a long time, so they remember rules based off of the older editions, whereas the newer people are just like, why can't we do this? This sounds cool. So there's a lot of times in our sessions where someone's like, can I do this thing? And then we all have to look at our books to make sure they actually can or they can't because it's there's so much stuff. Literally nobody remembers it. Even the guy in our group who, who GMs it normally, who hasn't who's been playing for like years, doesn't remember everything. It's impossible. Well, like even and it's okay to house roll things if you want to. Like if you don't yes. want to look up the mechanics oh or whatever, just go with the flow. Well, I mean, always even... if you're a DM or a GM, just just roll with it. If it's something and you're not entirely sure, just just make a decision and go with it because you're allowed to do that. Yeah, you don't always have to follow. the You're rules. not going to break the game if you don't perfectly follow the rules. But uh, even like uh, Chris Perkins, who's the D and D extraordinaire GM. Uh, He's always got his player player and uh, GM handbook with him, and he's always looking stuff up during gameplay. It's totally fine to not know everything. Yeah, I don't know anything, and yet I still I still manage to do stuff well. Fun fact: uh, we are technically not playing by all of the rules on our podcast, and that is by intention and design. Cool. Yay! I actually didn't know that. I'm cool with that, though. <laughs> yes, we are. There are a few systems and a few rules that I have decided to entirely ignore. And there are a few systems and a few small rules that uh, I have tweaked to um, sort of better accommodate the style that we play, which is we are playing via podcast in two hour clips, you know, only at certain intervals of time. We are not all sitting in the same room. Um, we cannot all, you know, spatially and sort of visually we're not all technically looking at the same thing so i have tweaked some things here and there to better accommodate the form in which we're playing um which if we were all playing sitting around a table i would not do or i do slightly differently and it's your game so it's entirely your prerogative to do that um interesting yeah and there's like one or two systems that like i actually don't think work very well unless you're all sitting in the same room and you're playing at a more consistent pace so i've just decided ah, eh, we're not going to use this use what you need add what you need and discard what you don't need it's perfect uh let's see um so uh question from ben on twitter what style of game do you all prefer madcap farce on the nose thriller top gun Top Gun. Always oh. Top Gun. Heist. I love heist stuff. Oh, that's good, too. Oh, Absolutely oh my God. zany. <laughs> no! <laughs> what? There was one time in in a game, a D&D game I was playing that our, our DM was like, he made a chase scene. And so we actually did like a chase scene through D&D systems. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. So like that kind of stuff is also really cool. Like last week, uh, last week I saw a uh, I saw a live play show introduce Mario Kart, but not into <laughs> their tabletop session. It was amazing. Mm. Um, but for me, I I kind of prefer a little bit of everything. I like uh, I like having the flexibility to be uh, be an on the nose thriller or occasionally delve into total farce. Yeah, I prefer things to run smoothly. <laughs> uh, We're as sorry. A player, I really like heist type things as a DM, it's really challenging because uh, those types of things require you to like have built out enough of the world that like enough of the area and enough of what could happen and like the sort of possibilities that your players can actually enact like a heist. Um, or enact like an actual master plan. Um, so you actually have to put things behind the scaffolding, which otherwise in your game, you might just have like, yeah, that building is painted really pretty. It's not a real building though. Cause they're never going to go in there. But so I don't need to know what's actually behind that door. Cause they're never going to go through it. They're just going to look at it. Um, so in more complex games, you have to have either filled those things in, or at least to have, have those things ready. Um, so it's a bit more nerve wracking as a GM, but as a player, I really like those types of, uh, those types of games. I'm trying to think of how much effort it comes up with to write those kinds of like books and thinking of scoundrels <laughs> and how much plotting there was to try to, you know, get that heist pulled off. And I'm like, that sounds really intimidating to come up with that in a game. 
You know, that actually leads into an interesting question for the writerly folks in our group. Um, how does tabletop gaming help writers hone or grow their craft? Um, it makes me think a lot about character agency and character choices driving the plot, which I can tend to uh, lose when I'm writing because I, I am a planner and I outline so I'm always like trying to get to the next point in the outline and you know forgetting that the characters have to get there or else you won't believe it um and so now like when I'm planning out a story and I'm planning my outline I have to think of myself what would the character do how would the character do this would the character do this um and then go from there. Aren't you glad I suckered you into this? I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, character agency. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say more? Nope. You're good. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> character agency is definitely like a really big good thing you can learn from this. Also, like encountering different kinds of character types you might not normally think of because everyone comes up with something totally different. Um, when it comes to game design and game writing, doing doing RPG, tabletop RPG stuff can be really good for getting practice in what players will do with the framework that you give them and how unpredictable players can be and how they'll react to certain situations. Um, so if you want to get into game writing, GMing games can also be a really good practice for having interactive storytelling. Um, I know I've definitely learned a lot about <laughs> what players will do if you give them the option because they will <laughs> usually take the <laughs> route you don't want them to take. I, I, I feel like that's uh, alluding to, to a certain thing that happened with our dear friend Percival <laughs> and Arathtar. Well, it, it just goes to show that you can't sort of... like. Different people have different things going on in their heads, and sometimes it's uh, <laughs> enlightening to see what other people will do with the situation. That in, it's different from what you would do. Enlightening yeah. is one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been absolutely delighted seeing how how the Merc team can go off the rails next. I actually, to to Saf's point, I'm actually trying to think of how I can get a Percival-type character in one of my books. Because it just seems like that would be delightful to write. So, if that happens, Jay, I'll I'll put you in the acknowledgments. Now, now Jay, <laughs> speaking of Percival, um, <laughs> Diana wants to know, how do you find fashion inspiration for him? Uh, so, like most things, Percival, I sort of just make it up on the fly to whatever sort of strikes my fancy in my head. Like, that literally pops in my head at any given moment. But it's also uh, sort of just an atmosphere of things I've, you know, read and looked at and pictures I've looked at. And, uh, you know, I follow a certain royalty Twitter and other historical-oriented things. So I'm always seeing new ideas and whatever's just on my mind at the time, that's what I go with. Very, very cool. Um... Tom, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Well, I, I would just say I will point out um, that despite that the Merc team, despite how much it appears that they have gone off the rails, actually haven't. <laughs> um, they are more or less right where I anticipated they would end up. Oh, Not exactly in the their... exact form, but in my original design for how this adventure would progress, they are sort of right where I expected them to be. Oh, all despite their best efforts. We're not doing too bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, a question for you. Um, apart from like the beginner game boxes, do you have any tips or resources you'd point a uh, beginning game master DM to? Um, well, there are, and this is this is game non-specific. So that's one thing that I would say is if you are interested in becoming a game master. Um, and you're seeking out more tips on how to be a game master or examples of good GMs or just other advice, don't restrict yourself only to what game you're playing. So if you're if you're looking to be a Star Wars GM, I would encourage you to go read resources for things like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. And if you are a GM or DM of one of those games, I would encourage you to look up resources that um, GMs for Star Wars would use. Um, because the, like, 
the philosophies and the sort of science of being a, a game master is relatively universal. Um, I spent a lot of time on both the D&D and Star Wars RPG subreddits because there's a lot of great material there where, for new people and, and longtime GMs. There's a lot of great just sort of like template like FAQs that have been posted to these kinds of places because information builds up. But there are also places that people will post like a single idea or a single problem that they're having. And then suddenly you'll get 50 or 60 GMs chiming in with like, well, here's how I would solve the problem. And you've suddenly got a massive community of responses to a singular problem, whether it's a really granular, like micro thing or a very macro, like GM style, um, approach. Um, I would watch or listen to live play games if you want though, live play games in both podcast form and like, like live play, like YouTube videos tend to be really different from home games because there's a sort of theatrical entertainment value to them that's not quite present in a game where there's no real audience other than the players so i would just be a little bit wary about like how that material is being presented because you might not be able to adapt it all to your own game in exactly the same way um uh and i would just think about think about the type of game that you would want to play as a player. Think about if you've been a player before the times that you've played and a GM has made you really happy or the times a GM has made you um, maybe not happy or you've had a good experience or a bad experience and really try to dig into why, why you felt that way. And then either do those things that you've identified or don't do those things that you've identified. Um, and then the last thing, if you're a GM, like trying to pick up sort of information, trying to learn how to be a GM, talk to players it's the most important thing about being a good gm whether you are a beginner gm or you've been a gm for a long long time you need to talk to the people that you are playing with and find out what type of game they want to run find out what type of game they like find out what type of you know what way do they like to play are they super serious about it is it a goof is it just like a good time you have to find out what type of game they want to play because you could be a really good GM, but if you are GMing the wrong type of game for your players, you're going to be really bad at it. Um, Ooh, can I jump in with something there? Yeah. That's been something that we've had to learn over the last couple of years of playing D&D with my group because my our GM, our normal GM, we have a new one at the moment, um, kind of plays D&D in the way that characters are somewhat disposable. So they die relatively often. You make a new character and you go on with that. But the group that we built, because we were all beginners except for one person. We all got super attached to our first characters in our first campaign. And so he found it very hard to actually try to kill us because we would get really pissed off <laughs> if he went out of his way to try and kill us and made it too hard. And then in our second campaign where he was like, okay, I'm going to make it a bit harder. I think he kind of started to realize that we don't want that. We don't want, we want to build a story with our characters. We don't want to have to build a new build every time our character dies kind of thing. Like sometimes we have backups, but sometimes we don't. And I think for him realizing that made it easier for us to not kind of build up a resentment for how the game was being played. So yeah, what you said is really important. Know what your players want out of the game. Yeah, I usually tell other GMs when I get asked, I usually say that there's basically three types of knowledge that a GM has to have. You have to have knowledge of the rules. Like you as the GM need to know how the game works at a fundamental level. You don't have to be a super expert because as Jay and many of you said, like you can look things up, like you can check things, people get stuff wrong, it's fine. But like fundamentally the GM needs to know how to play the game. You also have a knowledge of the world. So you need to have enough knowledge of the world you're playing in so that you can populate it, you can sort of define the parameters and you can create a sandbox that is big enough and rich enough for your players to then go around and play around in. So you need to be have that knowledge. And then the third knowledge is you have to have knowledge of your players, both the type of game they want to play. Is it a goofy game? Is it a heist game? Is it an action game? Is it a noir game? Um, how serious they are. Is everyone super into character? Are we just kind of hanging around making out of game jokes and in game jokes simultaneously? And also what kind of content are we all comfortable with? Are people comfortable with delving into sensitive stuff or do people want to play a more high level game? That's not, you know, getting into like deeper, more mature themes. And if you don't like that third pillar, that's usually the one when I meet someone who's trying to become a better GM or who's, you know, if I've watched them play or play with them and they're not maybe achieving to the level that I think they're, they probably could. It's usually that one, that third one that they are a little bit short on. It's usually not the other two. Um, and I've played with 
the worst GMs I've ever played with are people who like probably the best rules or world builders that I've ever met, but who were just not very good at understanding the people they were playing with. Very cool. Yeah. So know your players and uh, know what they're looking to do, which is, yeah, that's, that is great advice that I will definitely keep in mind as an aspiring GM myself. Um, let's see. So what, what is, what's the story behind our characters? Do we have any stories behind our characters? Why are they the way they are? Jay? Um, <laughs> uh, why is he the way he is? <laughs> uh, yeah, why are you the way you are? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I don't know how how I can explain him. He's just sort of the refinement of a of a character that I've sort of been thinking about, reflecting all my interests in Star Wars and the type of characters I enjoy, and sort of taking that to the next most absurd level. A super imperial, super fancy, doesn't understand aliens or the real world. It, it, it I just want something exquisitely absurd and yet somehow also weirdly plausible yeah i made i forgot her name <laughs> Jin. 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 that's Jin it Jin yeah Jin. before yeah. we knew there was a gin or so <laughs> yeah she was the first Jin. um <laughs> i made her i mean she's a she's a pentoran because i really love pentorans as a race and you don't really see them much around Star Wars, so I was like, yes, I have to be this cool blue lady. But the actor part of her kind of came from my first D&D character was, was supposed to be a scholar and then kind of ended up being like an acting kind of character, but she was never built to be an actor. And so I kind of wanted to take that idea and actually make it into a character so I could play that from the start. Um, and also I love, I love playing characters who are supposed to be persuasive and tend to talk their ways out of things instead of fighting um so i kind of wanted to build Jin into into that character into that artist not artist but like a- actor who is a little bit useless at anything except for talking um i like pilots <laughs> <laughs> uh and i like defectors from the empire sorry jay um <laughs> So, and I, this this is my first time I've ever done a D&D game, so I kind of was just like, or a D&D style game, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll just create a character that I would like to write, so kind of like took ideas from some of the books I've written and just went from there. Yeah, my character is based on a character I wrote for something like 11 or 12 years ago. He's a real jerk off. Yeah. <laughs> and my my challenge for this was okay, can I take this horrible concept I had all that time ago and make an interesting character out of it? I'm still trying to find the voice for this character other than a well-meaning bumbling idiot. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good voice to have. Yeah, but that's uh, that, that's pretty much the story behind my character. I wrote something when I was 15 and decided, hey, can I make this better? Wow, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I- I- indeed. Um, yeah, so story behind our character is interesting. <laughs> um, let's see. So, Saf, why don't you talk about uh, this uh, this topic we got here? Um, okay, so I, uh, when Brian was asking for like ideas of what we should talk about, I kind of mentioned talking about how to how to lean into the collaborative storytelling of uh, tabletop RPGs, and also in particular collaborative storytelling in terms of doing it as a podcast because you've definitely got to tell it in much more of a not dramatic so much, but more more of an actual story than you might get playing it normally. Um, so, yeah, thoughts on that, I guess. Um, I just, it remind I haven't really done a lot of collaborative storytelling before, but it reminds me a lot of improvisation. Um, like when I took drama class in high school, like, you know, we do, we would do improv from time to time. And one of the things our teacher always told us was don't 
negate anything that people someone sets up for you like yeah uh, never say no yeah so like you know you you can take it a different way but if someone's trying to set you up for something take it and do something with it um because if you don't then you're just never gonna go anywhere and it's gonna be really really boring and if you ever watch like improvisation shows like whose line is it anyway it's it's funny because they'll just throw ideas at each other and they'll take it and run with it and it's like where the hell did you come up with that idea um <laughs> but you see they oh they're always going back and forth at each other and it's never like no i'm not gonna do that you know and yeah, this this actually it applies not just on like the player to player side, but also the GM to player side. This idea of instead of saying no, you say yes and or yes but. Um, if you'll notice, you can go back and listen to all the episodes we've done. The number of times one of you has made a suggestion to me <laughs> that I have actually said no to is very very few in fact i actually not sure that i've said no outright um unless it was something that like broke the rules of the game very drastically i don't think i've said no um because the whole point is you offer to do something to impact the world and so rather than if i say no what i'm doing is basically saying no i control the world the world works this way why are you saying i want to do this you want to impact the world you want to change it in some way so as a GM, the philosophy is usually always try to say yes, but if the player is doing something that is going to mess with your world in such a way or that should have real consequences in such a way, you say, cool, X happens, but it causes Y. Um, and then you get to basically turn it back to the player by saying, okay, I have now caused Y. What is going to be your you know, Z response to that that X that led to that Y that now leads you to to Z. Um, so collaborative storytelling works not just between the players, but it's really important between the player and the GM um, because otherwise it just becomes me telling you guys a story that you are occasionally like filling in details of versus us telling a story together. You're not saying no to things we ask is something I've definitely noticed as we've played because I have played other DMs who do go, no, you can't do that. And I'm always like, but I want it anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been something I've noticed. It's something I've really appreciated because it does feel more collaborative and also like you're actually more involved with the story and the world because as a player, you feel like you can make a choice and you can kind of do anything and it may not work, but you at least did it. And that's half the fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard as crap sometimes to not say no because I'd be like, oh, if I just said no and sort of like semi-force them into this other thing, it would the story would move a little faster and we'd kind of get to a thing a little quicker. So it sometimes creates a little bit more of a mess, but I'd much rather try to clean up the mess than have to like say no and sort of, you know, close off a, a potentially, you know, a potential area of something fun or cool or just by making a player happy because they got to make a cool decision. Um, so like I could have very easily just been like, no, Jay, you can't flirt with the wrath car. Like you just, <laughs> nothing that you do will work. This is impossible. You can't do that. Um, now, the reason I said yes, in full disclosure, is I 100% expected that not to work. <laughs> I'm going to make it a super hard check, and like the chances of the dice coming out right are just really low. I'll take my chances. Um, I was wrong in that particular tell me uh, the odds. Uh, <laughs> guesstimate, but it's fine. It all worked out. I'm so glad that it worked out like that, because it's still my favorite part of this game so far. If, <laughs> if I have to clip anything to so to give to someone to listen to, to describe this show, that's what I'm clipping. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, the in the last episode um, for the Rebel Team, if you haven't listened to it yet, listeners, spoilers, uh, but Brian's character suggested blowing up a speeder bike in the base like trying to blow up a hut with this by blowing up the speeder bike and uh and and in full disclosure brian had mentioned this before the the show when we were talking about it because i'm like i think i have an idea and he's like i have an idea and i'm like well let me hear yours and so he told me and i'm like that is never going to work and then he brought it up during the show because I had brought up my idea and it didn't really it it didn't work um the way I wanted it to. And I was just like, this is not going to work, but I have 
no idea what to do, so let's just go with it. Well, and on the collaborative storytelling thing, um, I, fa- I failed a check there, too, after yeah. the speeder bike exploded to get out of harm's way, and I got hurt pretty badly. So <laughs> I started playing the character as being a very badly concussed, and I love that you and Rocky just totally grabbed that <laughs> and just flew with it. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, is there anything a player... Are there any things players can drop um, as we're playing through the game to help uh, the GM and the other players along with the collaborative sto- storytelling thing? Any details or anything they should look to do? <laughs> One thing they should look to do is not think too hard about the rules and try and metagame it because the moment you start doing that it stops being fun for everyone except yourself um and it also makes it harder to tell a story so like metagaming is when you know too much about the rules of the game and you kind of like try and use that to either predict how the story is going to move forward and so you refuse to take anyone else's choice on board or you try and build your character in such a way that they break the game or something which can be fun for yourself but it, yeah, it's very frustrating for other players when that happens and doesn't really help with the storytelling. So I would advise not doing that. The other thing, or there, there's two things. One is I always encourage players not to make perfect decisions. Uh, allow your characters to make, allow yourself as the character to make a decision that you as the player know is not perfect. It's not the ideal move. It is not the like 100% completely logical, most optimal move for you to make in a decision, in a situation, but to make the decisions that you think your character, based on their past, based on their attitude, based on everything else, would actually make. Um, And that to trust your GM to take care of you. So um, I forget, it was in the, you know, to uh, was it in the last game that... You know, uh, Rocky, I think before you guys could like powwow and like come up with a, you know, strict plan about stuff and do things, I think just like yelled something out at the hut and, uh, or maybe I'm misremembering, <laughs> but this is just like yelled something out. And it, I was like, okay, here we go. You've made your choice. And the other two of you don't get to like, you know, stop her cause she said it. <laughs> and so off we go. And obviously in that moment, that's not the optimal thing to say or the thing to do you probably would want to take five minutes and be like okay if we said this they might say this and we do this we do this and you know you want to sort of try to really distill it down to like the perfect chess move but if you trust the gm enough to like i'm going to make a decision for my character and it's going to be true to the character and it might not be optimal then like the gm will most likely reward you for that at some point where it might you know cause you to get into a fight that you probably could have avoided or it might cause you to have to do something much more difficult than it needed to be um but ultimately i think you'll end up making the story better and your gm will probably reward you um the other thing too is like don't be afraid to just suggest things or to like kind of go with stuff like you know when in the first episode for the mercs you guys are trying to land on tatooine and saf just decides to make up a person <laughs> that saf has no idea who this person is saf there's no background of this person this person's not an established thing saf created someone into the world but by doing so allowed that person or that entity to become mine as the gm to let me sort of then be like oh cool saf said that i'm just going to take that put that over here and save that for later <laughs> Seth has no idea what she did in doing that and has no idea how it might affect the game going forward. But what she's done is she's given me, the GM, another great tool to introduce to create an awesome storytelling moment. And it's one that I never would have thought of to do until she sort of gave me the kernel of it. Um, And Percival has done a couple of things, too. I was actually just re-listening to like three old episodes as I was getting ready for when I thought we were going to be recording tonight. And I was like, I I have no idea if Jay remembers that he said that, but I I wrote it down and I'm going to use it (laughs) against him now. And this is going to be super fun. Um, So just as a player, don't be afraid to be open about your decision making and be open about how creative you want to be, because you will probably give the GM better tools to help tell the story than the GM can come with them, can come up with themselves. Um, Can I jump in with a quick thing there relating to your um, player, like players playing to what the character wants to do? If you're a GM, don't punish your players for making a stupid move because it's what their character would do, because they happened to me recently and it, it... made me real mad because i was like i mean me as a player i know this is a stupid idea but i can't not do it with the character because it's exactly what the character would do and instead i just got punished for like half the game and it was just like 
the worst thing ever. So don't ever do that. Like, even if you have to, like, punish them somewhat for doing a stupid thing, don't actually punish the player too much. Like, don't don't make them feel like an idiot for making a choice that matched the character. Right. Well, and that's one of the nice things about in RPGs. There's usually like mechanical ways you can reward the players, even if in story you have to punish them. So if you're sitting in a cantina and one of you just decides, I'm going to get up and pull out my blaster and just start shooting. Well, okay. (laughs) And maybe you have like the type of character who's like a weird hothead and that's what he or she does. But um, if you do that, I need to punish you because everyone else in that cantina is going to start trying to beat you up or shoot you. But maybe mechanically I can be like, you know what, though? I'm going to give you a bonus to your next three defensive roles because like this is just how your character is and you're like super in the zone, but I'm not going to let you off the hook for making a dumb decision, but I'm still going to reward you. And so you can also do that if you're the GM, you can kind of do that outside of the storytelling. You can actually make the game work for them a little bit more um, while also still sort of applying real consequences to the decision. Um Really but like Jin, you you know, as Jin, you made a couple of very funny statements to um, to Ferric, like in the last couple episodes that like you clearly did not test those decisions with Jay and show and you just sort of said it and then off we go. Um, and those were awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm ever grateful that Tom didn't just kill us all when I decided to shoot thermal detonators. <laughs> The dice said I should have. I know. <laughs> that, that we watched over the screen. Maybe. Uh. Yes, it was. You guys have officially crossed the streams. Oh my Yay. god! It only took twelve episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um. So yeah, we'll close out with one last kind of quick little question. Um. So you like of dice and droids, and you like the concept of live play. Is anyone or anyone here watching, listening to any other live play shows, Star Wars or not? Well, Brian, I don't know if you have an answer to that question. I'll let other people answer first. <laughs> um, I am not currently, but I have a couple on the list to listen to. Uh. Uh, I've been li- I listen to Dice for Dice for Brains all the time, which is another Star Wars um, storytelling podcast. Um, and all the people who run Dice for Brains are really cool. They actually like gave me a T-shirt at Celebration, um, but that's not why I'm mentioning them. Uh, <laughs> so Dice for Brains is a really good one. Um, I don't really listen to any many live plays anymore. Part of that is I've started playing games a lot more, and so I kind of get more focused and involved with either. Um, planning out my games as the GM and DM or or planning out what I want to do as my characters. So it, I sort of push that other stuff to the side so I don't get bogged down. But Dice for Brains is one that I that I that I've stuck with um, stuck with for for now um, and for a while, actually. Uh, Jake, you. Yeah. Uh... Oh, um, yeah, I don't listen to or watch many myself, but I do occasionally read uh, RPG-based web comics are things that have storylines that are about characters playing RPGs. I find that whole genre very entertaining. Like you know, um, Darths and Droids was like the prototypical example, but there are many, many others. Uh, for me, there are two I'm watching right now. One I just started uh, watching Dice Camera Action um, because oh, that Chris, one's fun. Chris Perkins is such an amazing DM, and I love. I love watching and listening to him just craft a story. And the other one is uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, which is what got me on to the idea of doing of Dice and Droids. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they've got they've got the C-Team, a weekly show now, which I'm very much enjoying. But uh, there's lots of live play out there if you're looking for such a thing. I've got a lot of friends who uh, watch Critical Role. Um, the entire D&D group I'm doing a podcast with starting next month or uh, September is pretty much into that show. Yeah. There's also um campaign, I think, which is a star Wars live play RPG podcast, which is the one I've been kind of meaning to get into. Cause everyone I know who listens to it has really high opinions of it. I watch all the ones that Brian listed <laughs> by proxy. <laughs> I come home from work every Monday and Brian works from home and it's, which one is that? Acquisition. That's Ackink, yeah. Yes. 
And I ask him really um, annoying questions like, what are they doing now? What's that guy's name? <laughs> What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> Uh yeah, I mean I watch uh, I watch Ack Inc instead of watching Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> uh, any last thoughts from anyone before we uh, wrap up here? Games are cool. Games are pretty cool. <laughs> Games are. <laughs> I feel like um, if for for new gamers especially um, I it took me a few games before I've, I felt like I, I still don't know what I'm doing but I felt more comfortable playing and you, you seem to really have a good time on the last episode yeah and it was it was funny because I was worried like because we hadn't played for so long I was like oh is it gonna be you know weird getting back into it is it gonna be awkward but I had listened to the episode previously and then it just I, I just really enjoyed it and I felt like we all had a good like rapport and you know we're feeding off each other really well and i'm like i like this this is fun so yay yeah and i'm really excited we kind of succeeded in our goal last time (laughs) (laughs) sort of maybe (laughs) until we mess up again now i'm having a really good time with this um this is the first I played a couple sessions of Dungeons and Dragons in high school. I hadn't played anything since. Uh, so this is my first real foray into tabletop gaming, and I am having an absolute blast. Okay. When are we going to play the Force Awakens beginner game, Brian? Uh, I need to. Uh, Which is still in the plastic. I need to get a group together <laughs> to uh, do a podcast recording of that. So stay tuned for that. Yay. Well, I think I, I still have that in the plastic too. Actually, no, I opened it <laughs> to take out the map because there's a pretty sweet galaxy map in there. Oh, and I still have it too. Nice. Ooh, hmm, might have to frame that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna go ahead and wrap there. Uh, thanks all of you for coming on for this interstitial. Um, the plan is next Wednesday. The Merc team is back. Uh, we'll plan on the Rebels uh, recording in August as well. Um, and we're we're really hoping, fingers crossed, that we've uh, got the momentum back on this. I'm, I don't want to take a long break. We do. From this again, we have momentum. Forward momentum. Yeah, momentum is good. We, well, we have momentum. Momentum is very good. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up there again. Uh, episode next week. Tashi-Station.net to find all of our past recordings. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, everyone, and uh, we will roll some dice and catch up with you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is still not canon. For more information about the campaign and Star Wars tabletop RPGs, visit Tashi-Station.net.